in three short days, it will be here. And then all that we've been looking for will come and go. Or will it? Only time will tell. But in the meantime, we are looking for Christmas. And that has been our guiding theme these Advent Sundays. Looking, looking for Christmas. We've been considering different perspectives different angles to look at a singular light that came into the world. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Three weeks ago, on the first Sunday of Advent, we explored a view from below recognizing that the same spirit that was part of creation when the world was a dark, formless void was the same spirit that came into the world in Jesus. That view from below here on earth, recognizing that the ancients had a three-tier understanding of the universe, heaven, earth, and the underworld. But that spirit was present from the very beginning, and that's the vantage point that we as humans have, a view from below. And two weeks ago, we ventured a view from the near side as we attempted an approach of Christmas as if it were from the front side of Christmas, not after Christmas, to sense the anticipation and expectant hope that the children of Israel must have had and felt as they waited for the arrival of the Messiah. And then last week we took a view from the far side as we considered the non-Jewish Persian Magi who came from afar, leaving everything comfortable and familiar behind, to be open to God's leading and the recognition of something very special. And from the far side we realized we could get out of the box of how we've always thought about Christmas and the birth of Jesus and use our imaginations to think of it in new and fresh ways, even though we literally are on the far side of Christmas. We even considered what it looks like from the far side of death. And now today, we want to gain yet another perspective as we attempt a view from above. Last week, some of you will recall that right in the middle of the sermon, I went out onto the terrace to get a view from the far side looking back at the church through the windows, a different view than you were having looking out. For today, the view from above, I I, I thought about bringing in a big ladder and putting it right here in the center aisle, but uh, ladders and I haven't been getting along real well lately. Uh You all have seen video or things on TV where drones now give us a view from above. It wasn't long ago that we had a wedding here and somebody had brought a drone into the sanctuary and we had to tell them to get it out. (laughs) 
You see, it's only God who really has a view from above. We can only imagine, for none of us are God. And that's why I said today that we are attempting to gain a view from above because we can never gain a total view from God's perspective. For as our text says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Carlisle Marnie was a Southern Baptist minister a generation ago. Uh, he was once, he had such a deep voice, he was once described as having a voice like God's only deeper. But he was sort of a maverick, and um, he uh, always liked to throw a curveball uh, at his audiences. He was a very popular speaker. But one time he was addressing um, a large group of college students, and one of the students asked, Dr. Marnie, tell us what you believe about eternal life. Well, the answer he gave was, I don't want to talk with you about that. And so the student said, well, why not? Because, Marnie said, there, there you are, 19, 20, 21 years of age, never having known indigestion, heartburn, impotence, or defeat. So what can you know about death? He said, come back at 55, and we'll talk about things eternal with integrity. There are some who won't be able to imagine a view from above, who won't be able to even begin to see things from God's perspective. Why? Either because they simply don't want to, or they have never tried to see things God's way before, so they don't have a clue as to even where to begin with such a process. Now, I'm hoping this does not apply to any of you here today, and that you will be able to imagine a view from above a view from God's vantage point, limited as it may be. To do so, it is essential to recognize that God is totally superior to us. And that in comparison, we are as nothing. Such a perspective helps us shed off any tendency to be proud or arrogant, to think that we're better or somehow more deserving than others. Because a really proud person cannot easily know God. Because a proud perspective is one of superiority, one who's looking down on others and on people. Of course, as long as we're looking down, it's impossible to look up and to see that which is above, namely God. To attempt a, a view from above we must first be able to look up. A little girl was out in the country for the very first time with her parents at night. They got out of the car, and they could actually see the night sky. And she said, Mommy, if heaven is so beautiful on the wrong side, what must it be like on the right side? That little girl, in her beautiful simplicity, was stretching for a view from above. For to attempt a view from God's perspective is to attempt a view from the right side. To see things in the right way. But 
as we all know, such a view is very difficult to accomplish. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen to how the imagery goes on to give us a glimmer of what God is up to. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And who is that word? Sent to accomplish God's purpose. Well, of course, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Love came down at Christmas. Love, all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. God's view in looking down on the world was that the world was in a mess. And so in love, God called forth Jesus into the world. And here's how Lawrence Hausman imagines the view from above. Light looked down and beheld darkness. Where will I go, said Light. Peace looked down and beheld war. Where will I go, said Peace. Love looked down and beheld hatred. Where will I go, said Love. So came Light and shone. So came peace and gave rest. So came love and brought life. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The view from above prompted God to display the essential goodness of God's nature, which is love. The love of God poured out to us in Jesus Christ. Do we understand how that works completely? Of course not. And there are times when perhaps we're not even sure what we believe. John struggled in his gospel to help people see, and it wasn't easy. But his, his sight was the sight of faith. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet... You do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The view from above is darn tough. In fact, it's the hardest view of all because we will never, ever see things the way God sees them. But that doesn't mean we can't see some things. For John helps us to see what for many is the most known verse of Scripture. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that whoever believes 
in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Someone has suggested that the manger and the cross were made of the same wood. Jesus was coming into the world, God's greatest love gift, as a tiny, vulnerable baby. And that baby would grow up and would be lifted up in total vulnerability on the cross. The cross may be one of the greatest vantage points of all. Certainly the cross is the greatest sign of love poured out for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, only son. Gave him for what? Gave him for what? To be handed over and crucified. One of our United Church of Christ ministers um, had someone in his congregation who was an airline pilot, and this was before 9-11. And he was on a flight heading into Birmingham, and the pilot had invited him to come up into the to the front and join him in the cockpit. And after explaining all about the instruments, he said, can you see off in the distance beyond the runway lights a lighted cross? That's the steeple of East Lake Church. He said, at night when I'm on the final approach, of the first thing I see is that cross. And I line everything up toward that cross. And when I see it, I follow it all the way home. I follow it all the way home. That is an earthly example of a view from above and what a sign of hope and light it is for the world. The cross is a spiritual sign in the hearts of believers of the greatest love the world has ever known. Jesus, who himself was lifted up on the cross with a view from above, it's a strange one I know, said to all of us who would seek his way, take up your cross, take up your cross and follow me daily. And what a vantage point that is. No one has ever put it better than Thomas Akempis. Go where you will. Seek whatever you will. You shall not find a higher way above nor a safer way below than the way of the cross. A view from the cross. Is that not a strange vantage point for a view from above? And yet, that is precisely God's viewpoint. Have you ever tried to get that view from above, a view from the cross? John Thomas Carlyle has written an incredibly insightful piece called From the Cross. Sometimes I wonder what it looked like from the cross. I dare not try to fathom what it felt like. What did he see? Whom did he see within the compass of his crucifixion? The mockery. They, they pitied him. Oh, others he saved, why not himself? If he were such a wise and skillful Savior, they laughed to hear him proffer forgiveness in his prayer. 
Bystanders and passerby were numerous, and like the crowds, they came to hear him in his sunny days. He wanted to see their faces, but they blurred. He looked for loved ones, and at first he saw none. He caught a glimpse of Simon of Cyrene, companion to the crush to Calvary, who could not disengage himself from his uphill assignment. Dear Judas wasn't there to count his mad and miserable miscalculations. Poor Peter had retreated from his first impetuosities and must be hiding, and Thomas had not come this far to die with him as he had promised. Yet John, that energetic son of thunder, ambitious John, the erstwhile fisherman, beloved John, had risen to the challenge and followed the call to his high culmination and the cross. And his mother, Mary, faithful unto death, Mary had come and taken up a cross that only she could be constrained to carry, and Jesus saw her. He spoke to her, entrusted to her, entrusted her to John's consideration and loving care. And there were others, some were mothers of disciples, avid adherents in their own right, women who gave their substance and their all to follow him with Magdalene, who understood his love and gladly supplied the ointment of his anointing in life and in death. And this and these and more. He saw lifted up to draw the world with desperate compassion to find the face of God through blood and tears. A view from above. God looked down and saw what a mess the world was in. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him in birth. And he gave him in death. What is God's view from above right now? God sees everything just as God did before. Just as at Jesus' birth, at our birth, our children's birth, our grandchildren's birth. And so too he sees the good and the bad and the ugly because the world is still in a mess. And you know, God just keeps on loving it. And God keeps on loving us, all of us, each and every one of us. For God so loves us that he continues to give us his beloved son. Looking for Christmas right now, this year, what will you see as you attempt the most difficult view of all, the view from above? I don't know about you, but I left my gaze beyond the night and see above the banners of our lives unfurled the holy figure that on Calgary stretched out arms wide enough, wide enough for all the world. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and the trees shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar, the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that none of you will ever be cut off. Because, friends, you can believe it this day. The love of God that came into the world so long ago is coming right now, right here, for each and every one of us. It's true. Amen.